Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Greg White. Greg has decades worth of supply chain experience, operationally, as well as from an investment perspective. You've likely seen and heard him on Supply Chain Now's live streams and webinars, and he never pulls a punch. In fact, to take Greg's own words, he has unfinished business with the supply chain. Hey, Greg, how are you today? I'm good. Good, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. There's nothing like giving an intro to somebody that you know so well you've never thought about having to introduce them. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? You made me sound so much smarter than I really am. And you know what? I'm actually going to call you on that because I have a feeling people are going to be on my side of the fence as opposed to yours by the end of this conversation. Um, But we want to give people some context. So I gave sort of the dramatic Greg intro But for people who haven't already met you, can you share a little bit more maybe with some specifics about your background and professional experience? Yeah, sure. Happy to do it. Uh, And I appreciate you just saying decades, not the number of decades. Uh, But I am am a longtime practitioner uh, of supply chain. So I've worked mostly in retail, um, actually in supply chain roles. I've done consulting. I've been a technology solutions provider. Now I'm an advisor to startups as well as Fortune 100s plus every tier of investor. Of course, investors are really excited about supply chain right now. And I've implemented uh, supply chain solutions at hundreds of retailers, distributors, and manufacturers. And something to do with our unfinished business thing. I do have unfinished <laughs> business with the supply chain, and I've always been a challenger of the status quo. So that's me and my supply chain career in a nutshell. Well, and it's interesting because we'll share the link to your LinkedIn profile on today's episode page. And one of the reasons that I encourage people to connect with or follow you is exactly an example of the type of thing that's basically gotten you hauled in here today. Because Greg, I have unfinished supply chain business with one of the stories that you recently shared. So you're here to account for the fact that you're teasing that there may be a chocolate shortage this Halloween. And to me, this is an emergency of epic proportions. (laughs) If I had to choose between toilet paper shortage and chocolate shortage, like I'll figure something out, but don't mess with my chocolate. Uh, So- You recently shared on LinkedIn a news story talking about the fact that Hershey's has actually warned that there may be a shortage of Reese's products this Halloween. First of all, is this seriously true? It is true. And in fact, it's uh, respondent to the fact that they had difficulty fulfilling 
the requirements, the demand for chocolate during the Easter holiday, which is one of the highest peaks of demand uh, for candy companies. And, and um, the article that you're referring to is about how their management, particularly their, their CEO, is responding to try to, one, warn the public, and two, alleviate the possibility that they have the same difficulties or possibly even worse difficulties as they had during the Easter holiday. So it's very real, unfortunately, Kelly. And I happen to agree with you in terms of the magnitude of the situation. There is no substitute for chocolate. No, no, there is definitely not. Now, you talked about the executives working to alleviate. And this is me being an outsider on food production supply chain. But you and I are talking in early June and Amazingly, Halloween costumes are not yet in stores. It seems like holiday stuff comes out earlier and earlier every year. You're right. So we're we're talking about like five months, which I don't know, in normal people land, seems like an extremely long time. But with supply chain lead times and raw material issues, you know, are they they're really already issuing this warning five months in advance? Yeah, and they really have to because they know that it's at this point unrecoverable and there are a few factors that lead to that. One is, well, the ones that are operational are production capacity, uh, storage, distribution, fulfillment capability and ingredients. And that's a big one. All of which are really brought on by labor or the shortage thereof. You know, in supply chain, a labor shortage isn't new like it is around the world. Going into 2019, just in North America, there were 44 million supply chain practitioners and almost a 5% unemployment rate, uh, or I should say open jobs rate. There were about 2 million open jobs in 2019. Now, with the demand for supply chain, demand for and in supply chain, having shifted, there are ever more openings for supply chain practitioners as companies like Uh, Hershey's have recognized, to the extent that their CEOs actually care and talk about it, recognize that supply chain is a big, big factor. And because some of these things either are unrecoverable, like labor, labor, you know, won't come back in time to solve this problem. And because the uh, butterfly effect of things like shortages of ingredients have already impacted production and will continue to impact production, there's, you know, it's time to issue that warning, I guess. Now, that's not to say they've given up the ghost, right? Clearly, Michelle Buck, who's the CEO at Hershey's, has said she wants her teams to provision for uh, the problems that they expect to see and to position themselves as effectively as they can to fight off the, you know, any impending disruption. Now, first of all, bonus points. I caught what you did there. They're not giving up the ghost in having the Halloween candy ready on time. Oh, wow. I didn't even (laughs) catch it myself. (laughs) Hey, when you're good, you're good, Greg, right? So follow-up question for you about the labor shortage. One of the things that I am constantly harping on in, in my response to news stories is that there's enormous difference between shortages and disruptions and issues in the supply chain, right? Suppliers and suppliers, suppliers and all that 
versus issues with the supply chain where mm. fuel is a cost issue or there's not enough drivers. Is the labor issue specifically in, you know, whether you consider it distribution or, you know, again, the drivers, um, is the labor shortage an issue there or is it an issue at all of the different tiers of supply that would make it possible for Hershey to both produce this chocolate that I cannot live without and also put it on store shelves? Labor is the issue, is the issue in supply chain. It's the root of every issue in supply chain, right? We can't get ingredients because uh, people were locked down for so long and it takes a while to restart that production. Uh, we can't move the goods because there was already a driver shortage and drivers went away in droves because largely baby boomers were the drivers and they've retired early. 3.6 million extra mm -hmm. retired early last year. Uh, over the 10,000 per day that we're retiring already. So um, labor is the issue. Labor works in distribution and fulfillment and manufacturing, and people are staying away from manufacturing jobs in droves, right? The whole dark, dirty, dangerous, yeah. dull perception. People had a lot of time to rethink their values, their desires when they had some downtime. And um, a lot of people have left the industry because of that. Now, one of the other things that I'm curious about, and and I had thought about this after reading the initial article that you shared, I actually kind of feel bad for B2C companies, right? Hershey's comes out and issues this warning and shares what they're trying to do about it. I see a picture of chocolate and instantly, you know, the sad face emoji pops into my head and I know this is not going to be good news. And most of us respond to these consumer-oriented things by panic buying or, you know, hiding in the corner with a colander on our heads and waiting for it all to be over. <laughs> Are B2B companies just as bad but getting away with it because there's not going to be the same level of coverage and consumer interest? Or are B2B issues of this kind simply being absorbed into the stories that eventually pick up speed and hype and get attention because they finally get to the point where I'm going to go to the store and there's not going to be any Reese's peanut butter cups? Yeah, I think because of the awareness of supply chain brought on by the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 <laughs> and, and the pandemic and the uh, seismic societal disruption in response to that, uh, there is nowhere to hide in supply chain. Whether you're a retailer, uh, you're a manufacturer, a brand, or any or all of those, which more and more companies are, um, you know, Hershey's is is a, technically a B two B company. They market right. to consumers, but they really sell to retailers for the most part, retailers and distributors. But because we consumers are so aware of the supply chain. We know who's performing well, who's acting well, who's a good and bad actor in supply chain. We know so much about it. Transparency has been forced into supply chain because of the awareness of the consumer. And there's really no one except down in the very, very deep depths. I mean, and since we're talking about sourcing, by the way, you know, yeah. there are six, could be six or seven tiers of suppliers, both direct materials, indirect materials, um, raw materials, and even 
in some cases, mining or farming or, or whatever else, right? Depending on the product. So it's really hard to hide these days. And that means that everyone is accountable. However, the retailers and the brands like Hershey's are far more accountable than anyone else because of their customer facing nature. Well, and we're all going to assign them responsibility, right? Because if I can, you know, go to one supermarket chain and there's no Hershey's, but I know I can go to any other place, Walmart, CVS, right? And pick up what I'm looking for. Then I don't blame Hershey's. Then I blame the retailer. But if I'm looking everywhere and I can't find Hershey's, I mean, consumers hold a grudge, right? They do. Yeah. I mean, look, consumers only really expect one thing everything that they want it any time that they desire. So, and retailers that know that. I mean, retailers have been serving the whim and the fancy. And I think yeah. when we've talked in the past, you have said fickle nature of consumers, which is exactly right. I mean, sometimes I'll eat three bananas a day. Sometimes I'll go three weeks without eating one, right? I mean, it's just, it, you know, <laughs> there's there's a certain aspect of that that retailers have always dealt with. And they're very good at it. Brands like Hershey's have always been shielded somewhat by their distributors and retailers, so they're less effective at it. Their constituency at the manufacturing at brand level is more the shareholder, frankly, than the consumer. They try hard to make lots and lots of money, less hard to, in the past anyway, to uh, have efficiency in the supply chain, which they saw at the time as a cost center, not a, an opportunity to uh, manage the effectiveness of the delivery to the consumer. Now, I'd be remiss in having you here, even though obviously the most important topic we're discussing today is my ability to access chocolate in five months. But it would be a waste not to ask you about sort of the, the tech angle on this challenge. You've talked about all of the investment and the enthusiasm around supply chain. And we talked a little bit about transparency, right? Figuring out where in the supply chain the issues are because that's how you figure out what your options are for addressing them. Are any of the approaches to tech or the ways that companies are thinking about bringing in tech, can they address any of this? Or is this just literally the labor is so tight and these supply chains are always going to be so complicated. Is there a tech angle on this, even if it's from a, a data and analytics standpoint, or is this just fundamental dealing with the challenges and, and building a really resilient supply chain? It's very much labor focused, you know, like we talked about earlier, but there is a ton of slack in the supply chain, particularly at the manufacturing level, because their gross margins and net margins are so high, they haven't been as diligent at creating resiliency in their supply chain as retailers have. Just to give you an example, a retailer will make maybe three to 5% net margin, a distributor somewhere near zero to 3% net margin, and manufacturers routinely make double digit net margins, anywhere from nine to 20 plus percent. Again, because they're serving the shareholder at a greater level than they're serving the consumer. But, and 
because they have such huge margins, they haven't had to instill the efficiency, the effectiveness in their supply chains that retailers and distributors have. So I always separate the supply chain into those three tiers because the answer is different, Kelly, as you can tell from, from that aspect of it. But technology is certainly an opportunity at every tier of the supply chain, more so at the brand level. And in my opinion, brands and manufacturers are more exposed than they've ever been, not just because there is so much slack and there is so much inefficiency and so much manual reliance uh, on labor at those levels, but also because, again, of that consumer awareness where consumers know whose fault it is, like you said. They know it's not Target's fault if, if they can go to Target and find it and and or, or not find it and can go to Walgreens and, and can't find it, right? So there's, uh, there's definitely huge opportunity for process, obviously human capital efficiencies, and, and of course technology in, at every tier, but more impactful at the manufacturing and brand tier. Well, and I came up in grocery retail, and oh it's funny because the expression that everybody used to use, it almost like a it was almost a mantra, was keep your eye on the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. And I kind of, I hear that idea in what you're saying about the various places where there's slack in the supply chain. If you're one of those, if you're at the tier where you've been staring at those pennies for years and years, you are probably as efficient as you're ever going to get to be versus if you're, oh, I, you know, I just found a 20 in my coat pocket. You haven't had the incentive in the past to become as efficient as truthfully everybody at all tiers is going to have to be if, you know, as long as things remain to be disrupted because we're working through echoes from the past or, or new challenges are arising. It's, it's so interesting to think about how that's going to factor into and break down the supply chain because, as you said, the answer is different for different players with different profit margins within that supply chain. Yeah, and margins are super tight in grocery retail. I mean, grocery retail and food service, food distribution and food service um, have always been been, at least in my career, have always been by far the most efficient because they have to be. And yet, especially in the States, Kelly, there is opportunity even for the most sophisticated retailers, but not nearly the opportunity that we're talking about where it is such an incredible amount of slack, for lack of a better word, in, you know, in supply chain efficiency at the manufacturing level. But yeah, you're right. There uh, there are unquestionably people who have to look at the pennies because the same brands, Kelly, that are selling to those people who have to watch their pennies, right? They're foisting all of this inventory and all of this cost and all of this risk onto the retailers. A, a good example is I think too many people believe that just in time is a universal supply chain concept. It's not. Right. It's a manufacturing concept. Just in case inventory, and by just in case, we mean carrying safety stock, sometimes even just presentation stock so the shelves look full. That is a retail concept that has been around for decades and decades, even before I was in supply chain. So uh, I, I think what we have to recognize is that there isn't, and boy, isn't this unfortunate, 
there isn't a universal solution to supply yeah. chain issues. We have to look at them in the context of the various performers in, in the practice. And the, the biggest opportunity is, with, is clearly with manufacturing and brands. Manufacturers are really good at building stuff and brands are really good at promoting stuff. And that's about it, right? They know what their gift is. They really focus on it and they're really, really good at it. What they need to improve on is all of the other efficiencies that can be gained from managing that deliverable, that accountability to the consumer and measuring it carefully, creating an ecosystem with their distributors and retailers and other trading partners, even sources, raw material providers, and assuring a resilient supply chain because they don't own a huge portion of the delivery to the consumer. They have to figure out how to how they, as the most accountable party, whoever that may be, in some industries it's retail and in some industries like Hershey's, it's the brand. They need to figure out how they protect themselves by creating resiliency among all of their trading partners. Now, one last question for you on this post. I thought, and you say, right, there's no universal solution, but I happen to think this particular piece of wisdom is about as close to universal as we're going to get right now. You had said that you are wary of advice from people who are new to the supply chain party. (laughs) You know, we've joked about the toilet paper. Everyone is now an expert in the supply chain because they had to do something out of the ordinary to find toilet paper. Uh, But- what do you mean when you talk about be wary of advice from people that are new to the supply chain party? Yeah. So, you know, often um, analysis and disruption come from a place of naivete. And there is there is certainly a place for that. Um, but for instance, I'm not a journalist, so I would not, well, I might. I should not <laughs> <laughs> advise journalists on how to perform their craft. Likewise, journalists are not supply chain professionals. They don't know, they know just enough to be dangerous. And some disruptors, those being new solution providers or new technology providers in supply chain, are not aware enough of the complexities and they can they can create disruption because of a lack of depth, not only of knowledge, but often a lack of depth in their solutions for all of the complexities in the supply chain. There's not a, an app for that, for supply chain, right? Um, there certainly could be, and it takes a combination of a disruptive spirit and a lot of expertise in the supply chain to really do that. But that's really what I mean when I say that, you know, be, be wary of um, people who are new to this purporting their expertise or saying it's really as simple as this change. Um, and, and truthfully, it's folly to do that anyway because real supply chain practitioners, chief supply chain officers, you know, VPs, directors, whatever, they know how complex it is and they're not going to buy from someone who doesn't have a depth of expertise. Believe me, I've been selling solutions into the supply chain for a couple of decades, Kelly. And, <laughs> and you know, one of the things that they want to understand is 
do you get us? Do you get our business? Do you get our problem? Do you get our goals? Do you understand what we're really trying to accomplish? And then we'll believe, or at least entertain, that you might have another way to approach it. Now, as we start to wrap up our time, and I gave you fair warning on this, this is the question that I ask absolutely everybody who joins me here on the Sourcing Hero podcast. And I think, and I'll say this for you, Greg, I think this is a wicked hard question. So uh, thank you for is, saying wicked, Kelly. <laughs> nope, for you, anytime. <laughs> but I think I think this is tough because your expertise is in supply chain, reading these situations, understanding sort of the story behind the article. But I think this pushes people out of their comfort zone, which is why we get such interesting responses. So you actually have a choice. I would ask you either, what does it mean to you, the idea of a sourcing hero, or what does heroism look like in a business context? Yeah, uh, and I appreciate you giving me that question in advance. And I have to confess, even the advance knowledge of it helped very little until this very moment when you <laughs> repeated the question. And, you know, heroism is often running towards trouble, right? Because no one else is, or you are the closest person, or, you know, the time, the situation is right. But when I think about sourcing, procurement, supply chain, if you're running towards trouble, it's already too late. What I think of when I think of a sourcing hero or, or even heroism in business generally is someone who foresees, works hard to foresee and preempt fires, right? Mike Griswold from Gartner loves to say, and I completely agree that for in supply chain for too long, we have rewarded the arsonist. We have, yeah. uh, we have given kudos to people who have taken something that got broken and fixed it. What we need to do is reward the heroism of people who, cre who create a scenario wherein things don't get broken, or at least not as often. And I think in this context, that is someone who recognizes that what um, philosophers call enlightened self-interest, right? I can perform better, I can do better for my business by recognizing that this network, this mesh, this ecosystem of players in the supply chain are relying on me and I am relying on them and creating a ecosystem wherein I have views and provide information and, sh and we share goals and, and common interests to allow us to perform better as a collective rather than independently. The myth of, quote unquote, my supply chain is exactly that. There is no my supply chain. There is the supply chain, the supply chain, the supply ecosystem, whatever you want to call it. And you're merely one of many participants in it, even if you are in the forefront of the consumer's mind, like a Target, a Walmart, a Hershey's. Uh, or, you know, or anyone else who plays. So that's my idea is someone who preempts those problems. And it is certainly commendable and necessary. And 
how could we have had a better example of how necessary it is to preempt problems than this pandemic and the resultant two, two plus years of disruption that have occurred because of that? No, you're absolutely right. And and it's it's interesting because I've I've listened to a few of these responses. I I think that visual of, you know, if you're running towards the danger, you're already too late. Um, I hope that's an idea that sticks in people's minds because we talk about predictive, we talk about different ways of using analytics, but we're mostly still just trying to get a really clear point of view on the current moment, Mm -hmm. let alone having any idea what's going to be happening in six months or eight months or, or beyond that. So I think that's, I think that's an awesome answer, but I think it's the right way to be thinking for where we are because people are starting to relax a little bit. Generally right. speaking, we feel like the panic is over um, when what we should be doing is taking sort of the excess energy that's been freed up by things getting a little bit easier and trying to reallocate that and get some sense of where the fire is going to be next week. Amen to that. If there's anything that we know, there is always disruption in the supply chain. Look, the difference isn't that there is more disruption in the supply chain. There was one more disruption. It was huge, right? Enormous, unpredictable, all of those things. But the only difference since that is the awareness of uh, consumers of the, the broader collective of humans seeing the disruptions. Because before in supply chain, nobody really cared about supply chain. In fact, if you ever wanted to end a discussion at a cocktail party, all you had to do <laughs> was say, I'm in supply chain. People would quickly turn away. Now, people want to understand, I think, and because they understand the impact for sure, they want to understand more about it. So I think you have to recognize that the only thing that has changed is is the awareness. Ships have run aground before. The Suez Canal has been blocked before. We've had freezes in the South that caused um, enormous raw materials and and direct materials uh, disruptions in the supply chain. But now we're aware of it because we care and because we see through the supply chain to those different players and and aspects that impact the end goal, which is the delivery to whoever consumes or utilizes the product. Well, Greg, I'm grateful to you being here. Alarming though this story is, I'm I'm glad you were here to sort of break it down for us. If people are listening in and would like to see other content that you share or get your perspective on things, or maybe they want to invite you to a cocktail party where Mm. supply chain people are welcome, right? (laughs) That's always a possibility. What is the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, LinkedIn is always the best way. Greg White, Supply Chain Now is probably the easiest way to find me. Um, Yeah, I think that I I do my best to respond to my messages there fairly efficiently. (laughs) Uh, But know that they come in pretty fast and furious. But yeah, I'd be happy to talk to folks. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being with me on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Thank you very much, Kelly. I appreciate it. Good work. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for the Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, 
Sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.